end of the Perimeter Church podcast. If you had a winning lottery ticket, would you cash it in? And what would you do with life-changing money? What about God's grace? What would you do with life-changing grace? Lead teacher Randy Pope starts the series, The Glorious Grace, Design of Grace, with this message entitled, Forgiving Grace, which covers Romans chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 20, and 21. For information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to ask God that he might really meet us here during this next hour. Let's pray. Our Father, as we ask you now to come be among us, we, we understand that You have given to us a record of truth that is for our good. And we don't claim to be experts in it as a congregation at large. We we don't claim that that we've been as faithful as we could to trying to uh, try to learn from it. But we do claim that we're your children and we come for the most part wanting to be fed right now. Lord, I'm going to pray that you would take that which is truth and you would press it first into our minds so that it might be understood, could be believed, but that, Father, you would do an unusual work by taking that and supernaturally feed it to the heart, that our lives might be different, that we might reflect you in a way that we wouldn't had we not been here. And Father, for those that are seekers, that there might be an understanding of your love, your truth, who you are that would drive many right now to say, I want you and find you even in this day. So we're going to just ask you, would you now speak to us and use this time? We ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I'm sure everybody has had the experience to some degree where you have received maybe something of value, uh, could not appreciate its value for whatever reason, and therefore didn't benefit from that which was provided for you. I, I know I've experienced that. If I, I think what illustration I, I think of when I was uh, uh, a pre-golfer, I was a tennis player. I played tennis for many years and loved tennis, uh, I played it avidly, just uh, loved it. And at the same time, could not understand people called golfers. I just didn't get that. And so I made fun of golf. I made fun of golfers. And though I made light of it, and as I would make those comments in a sermon or whatever, I meant it deeply in my heart. I did. <laughs> I couldn't understand why someone would be so foolish to hit a ball and chase their own ball. I said, no, 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 that's not the way. You hit a ball and make somebody else chase it. That's what sports is all about. But, so I just didn't get it. I just, I truly didn't. But I love my tennis. And then I, because of some injuries and so forth, I had to, I had to, to quit. But basically what happened, I, 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 I was having an opportunity to witness to a, a tennis professional, a teaching professional. And, and in order to do that, uh, I had to take some lessons. That was kind of condition. I'll take some lessons from him and I'll give him the gospel and so forth. And that kind of got me into the golf world. But this was prior when I was still making fun of golf and golfers. I had someone in our church who very kindly invited me to be his guest. 
and to go to Augusta National and to be able to watch the Masters. Now, if you're not very familiar with golf, that's the, maybe the, the ultimate golf venue, certainly in America, most would agree. And, and uh, the tournament is probably the premier tournament of all golf tournaments, but I couldn't appreciate that. I had no interest whatsoever. Well, they said, here's how it'll work. Uh, we're gonna be able to uh, pick you up, take you to the private airport, and we will be in a jet that will take us very quickly to Augusta, and we'll be met there, and we will be taken to the front gate, and we'll go in and spend the day enjoying that, and then ushered back to the, to the jet and get a quick trip back here and be brought back home. So that's the day. Well, I heard that and was very appreciative for the offer, but I'm thinking, why would somebody waste a day doing that? And so I turned it down. I said, no, thank you. Well, the next days is talk about this tournament and people are coming up in conversation. Somebody talked about the tournament and, oh, I wish we could go and all. And I said, oh, you know, I got invited. And I told them the circumstances upon which I was invited and that I had turned it down. Well, I won't tell you what they said of me at that moment, <laughs> but it was not a very kind a comment that was made. It was like, uh, I'm totally foolish. You know, well, I didn't understand. It made no sense to me, but I could not appreciate the value of what had been offered to me. That really is the story of many, many, many Christians. As it relates to this thing called grace, most of us understand enough about grace to say, I know you're saved by grace. And that's a very important thing. It's God's work. And I understand we get a little bit of that. But for most, I think that's where our understanding of grace both begins and ends. It's just that God has saved me. That's kind of the past tense of the grace that we know of as salvation by grace. And that's a very important part. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, many of you would know that text. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, that no one should boast. What people don't really understand for the most part is there are three tenses to grace. There is a past, there's a present, and there is a future. And most people are so locked into the, to the past, and they, they get a little bit of understanding there, and they assume that's what Christian grace is all about. And they fail to understand all of the rest. It's in that all of the rest that brings the beauty, the understanding, and the ability to walk in faith with Christ and have a Christian life that brings what all of us are looking for in our faith. But we don't understand that this is what we're missing by not understanding that part of grace. So here's what I like to do to begin with, kind of to lay a foundation before we read our text. I want us to look at the three tenses of grace. We're going to start with the past tense. I'll put it up on the board. The past tense, we call that justification. Justification is the declaring of one as righteous. A person is justified where they're, when they're declared righteous in the presence of God. It's because of the work of Christ, all that he's done. That is the moment of salvation. And as you see, that deals with the penalty of sin. Because we have been justified, we will never perish in an eternal hell. The penalty is done away with. There are consequences to our sin, but never is there a penalty for our sin. We are never punished because of our sin. 
Discipline, we could walk into a teaching, I'm not going to do it. There's discipline out of the love of the Lord and so forth. But, but we are never, never is there a penalty. That's been done away with. That's the past tense. And in the, the text of scriptures, that would be referring to what's called the aorist tense, which is something that is past and done. But there is secondly what we would call the present tense, and the present tense has to do with sanctification. Sanctification is the setting apart of someone more and more to the likeness of God. It's the work of God working to make us who we become in Christ mature and equip followers as we talk about it around here. That deals with the power of sin. Though it's true that every Christian, even after the power of sin has been done away with, meaning it's absolute rain, but still we have struggles. Certainly we know that. It's hard to obey. And the, the power that we're looking for in order to obey is sometimes very challenging. But hear this, the power of sin, we have died. We have died to that sin. That means we've been separated from that sin, the power. Oh, it's present right now. And it can be the means of, uh, of temptation to challenging things for us, but no longer does sin reign over the believer at that moment. Now there's the choice to either obey, and the power is available to do that, or we can choose not to. But in reality, the penalty and the power has been done away with. This is called the perfect tense. The scriptures that talk about this are in the perfect tense. It means that there is something that happens and then the results of that continue on and on and on and on and on. It's ongoing. That's the present of our Christian faith, that we have to understand the grace of God if we're going to live the Christian faith as we're supposed to live as followers. Then there's the third, which is the future, and that's glorification. When Christ comes back, then we are going to be in full glory. We'll have new bodies. Everything is taken care of. And at that point, the presence of sin is done away with. There will be no sin as we're in heaven. So these two already done away with, penalty and power, the presence, no, it's still very real. You and I are going to be dealing with sin every day of our lives as Christians on this earth. Seeker, I hope this gives you a little picture of the Christian experience. It's not just an event that took place, therefore I'm declared something and now we live on and that's it. That's the Christian life. Hopefully you live a good life now. Oh, it's a whole lot more and it has to do with the grace of God. We only become what God's grace enables us to become. So that's why we want to dig in to each of these arenas. Now, Without an understanding of this broader perspective of God's grace, what happens is we begin to think wrongly. Uh, we begin to think about what God thinks of us. Do you know there was a survey that was taken, and I certainly don't assume it was just of Christians, but, but of the people surveyed, what do you think God thinks of you? The leading answer was, he's disappointed in me. Second to that was, he's angry with me. It's because we fail to understand this as Christians that many Christians would say, that's kind of how I feel right now. I, I feel he's disappointed in me. I feel he's angry with me. This is what causes people to say, I don't know if God can forgive me now based on what I've done. Uh, particularly when, when there's this extreme, significant moral failure 
that you can't even imagine that in your lifetime you would ever fall to, to such depths. That, and then you begin to think, as a Christian, I, I just don't know that I can ever come back to God. I just don't know that God's going to ever receive me back. Or maybe it's not some significant moral failure. Maybe it's just a lot of moral failures that maybe a lot of people may struggle with, but we say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, and then we do it, and we say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, and we do it, we do it, we do it, and finally we say, I know he's fed up now. He's just tired of hearing from me. It's all over for me now. And that's the way many of us tend to find ourselves and at the same time would say, I, I'm a Christian, but, I, but, but, but there it is. That's what I think God thinks of me. If you are a true believer, there is one truth that will capsulate the whole teaching of what you've got to know. It's in this simple statement. I'll put it up. We stand in grace which abounds. I think we would do ourselves a great service to memorize that, to write it down, to say it over and over and over with the understanding of what I'm about to teach regarding what the scriptures say about this. We stand in grace which abounds. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Uh, when I've taught through Romans, I teach through Romans uh, a little bit every year, most every year, uh, now for 40 years. And when I finish Romans chapter 8, I go back to number 1. And so, obviously, we've covered Romans 5 several times in the history of this church. Uh, I'm only going to pull out four verses from the text where we would teach it in a greater context. But the first two verses of Romans 5, and then skipping down to 20 and 21, I want to read them together first, and then I want to break them down for a few minutes, and then we're going to dive into the implications of these texts. So here they are. The first two verses, Romans 5, 1 and 2, reads like this. Therefore, having been justified, keep that word in mind, we've already talked about justification, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained, and I want you to note the word introduction. We've obtained our introduction. I'm going to come back to that word. But introduction by faith into this grace in which we, and remember the word stand, the grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now let's go to 20. 20 and 21 says, and the law came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let's just take a few minutes and let's kind of dig into that just a little bit. First of all, verse 1. I'll read it once again. Watch what it says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, which is putting trust in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the past tense. This is the aorist tense we were talking about. Justified, being declared righteous, we've already spoken about that. And so, it is by our justification, past tense, now we see what it says in verse 2, how it links to that through whom also, so it's not just that, it's also we have obtained our introduction by faith 
into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. So I, I, when I did Romans uh, through the years, I always loved to think of it as this, this circle of grace. Some of you remember that. The idea here is a circle of grace. I'm over here with all humanity as we come into this world. Every person is outside God's grace. We don't live in his special abounding grace, not at all. Oh, we might experience common grace as we've already taught in the series, but no special grace, not at all. Until he begins that work in hearts that he draws to himself, and guess what happens? They are justified. They're declared righteous. And simultaneous with that, as it says also, we are introduced at that moment, we're introduced into the circle of grace in which we stand. At that moment, we stand in God's grace, and you need to understand this, it is impossible to get outside of that circle of grace. It cannot happen. You cannot choose to get outside the grace. You can't fight your way outside the grace. You are in that circle of grace forever and ever and ever. That's very important to know. Now, this whole idea of being in his grace carries the idea of status. It's the whole thought of status. How do we think of ourselves? Now, the, the author of Proverbs makes it real clear when he says, as a person thinks in his or her mind, so is he or she. That's the way it works. It's how we think of ourselves. Do we think of ourselves in the grace of God? Do we think of ourselves maybe slipping out of the grace of God? Very important. Look at the word introduction. I love this word and what it, how it's defined. The word introduction actually denotes the privilege of approaching or being approached in the presence of someone of high status and especially as of a royal or divine personage. Isn't that interesting? This is not coming out of a Bible thing. This is talking about, hey, yeah, this is that introduction. Oh, wow, look at this. We, we are taken and we are introduced by our Savior into the grace that He has and the triune God is working on our behalf in this circle of grace. We are introduced and brought into that grace given this status. Now, what difference does status make? Well, it really does shape the way we think. It shapes the way we believe. Do I feel myself as high status, low status? Imagine this. Imagine that, that I am a very, very wealthy individual. I just don't know it. I don't know that I have accounts of incredible abundance of money. But I don't know that, and so I live every day watching every dime, leaving out this, wishing I could do that, but no, I can't, and, and having to just be very, very careful. And I live a certain way based on the status that I have financially. And then I discover that I have incredible amounts of money. And now as such, wow, that's going to change a lot. It's going to change now. I'm going to be able to buy the things that I need. I don't have to skimp here and skimp there. And I know it brings new responsibility of stewarding it in appropriate ways and utilizing the excess. But, but I, I now see myself totally different. And it's going to affect the way I think, 
the way I live, that is the way the status of God's grace should affect Christians. In His grace, we stand. So important that Christians began to get that. Now, this Romans chapter 5, 2 is the perfect tense. It's the once for all action that has continuous results that go on and on and on forever and ever and ever. We stand in his grace. So let me ask you this. If you were to be honest and be sitting alone and thinking about God, and you were to have to ask yourself the question, what do I think God thinks about me right now? What do you think he would be saying? Would it be maybe he's angry with you? Maybe he would say, well, I don't know that I'm angry, but I am very disappointed. I'm really disappointed in you. Would it be that, well, maybe he thinks of me as uh, an acquaintance, that maybe he's not real disappointed, I, you know, there's... But he knows who I am, and I think he knows, and he probably cares a bit of who I am. I don't know. I'm an acquaintance. Or maybe some of us would say, I think of him as a, he'd probably say, uh, I think of him as a friend. I'd probably say, I think he's a friend. I mean, I'm, I do friendly things for him and that have to do about him, and, and I think he would appreciate that, and there would be probably maybe friend. Well, folks, any of that thinking is totally wrong thinking. That is not thinking with the status that we have, having been introduced by faith, by Christ himself, into an abundance of grace. Because when we're escorted into the abundance of grace, now there's only one way that he will look at us, and that is as son or daughter. He's immensely in love with us. He's overwhelmed by us. He, he cares with us in ways we can't even imagine. And the idea of him being angry him being disappointed at us, oh, maybe disappointed for us, but he's not disappointed at us. He wouldn't say, oh, yeah, I know who you are. You're an acquaintance. He wouldn't say, oh, you know what, you're, you're a friend. No. He is a friend, but he is far more than that. He would say, I am your father, and I love you immensely, and there is not one single thing that you could ever do. I don't care how big or how often. I'm telling you, if you're in that circle of grace, let me tell you, you are my child. How significant is that? I mean, that's probably about as good a news as I think anyone can ever, ever have. But I feel at this point, to be fair to the text, we've got to go further. And I feel a bit like an infomercial at this point. I really do. Because at this point, we need to hear. But wait, there's more. It doesn't stop there. It's not like, oh, I stand in grace. No, no, no. In fact, it goes beyond that to say, we stand in grace that abounds. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And note this too, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This word abounds, it's an interesting word. It means excess. It means abundance. It means overflowing. 
It carries the word, it literally would be for us in English, we'd think of the word hyper. That's a prefix. Hyperabundance would be a better way to think about it. Not, not, only are, not only do we stand in grace, we stand in hyperabundant grace that just goes on and on and on. So let me kind of draw this together in some implications of what this really means for us. Three very brief statements that explain the text of abundance. Number one, first we need to know that grace is not withheld because of our sin. It is not withheld because of our sin. I understand that's what mankind does. When someone sins against us in a very significant way, then typically what we would do and do feeling okay about it would say, we're going to withdraw. We're going to pull away from you because of the way you're treating me. And at the same time, I am, going to, I am going to withdraw any favor or kindness toward you as you treat me this way. I just don't find that I'm going to find it in me to do anything very kind to you. And that's the way we think. But what we read in the scripture here is that, no, 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 as sin increases, grace abounds all the more. You know, this has been the history of the Bible. If you go back to the very beginning of the scripture, you have the story of the first parents, Adam and Eve. And we know that they disobeyed God, they turned from his command, and they ate, and their sin. Do you know what you see God do immediately? God doesn't just withdraw and say, have at it, you're done. The next thing you do, he does, is he introduces a Messiah that's to come. And he, and he says, and, and by the way, I'm going, to, I'm going to deal with the evil one who is your tempter in such a way to destroy him ultimately. And oh, by the way, I'm announcing right now that paradise is going to be reclaimed. There's going to be the paradise that you were designed to live in. All of that's abundant grace. You come to the Israelites. The Israelites are disobeying God, doing all kinds of things that God said don't do and so forth. And what do you see God do? God didn't just run and abandon. He said, okay, there you go. I'm withdrawing. Oh, there are consequences to what they've done. But at the same time, he introduces to them the sacrifices. He introduces to them the tabernacle. And he says, this is the way that you still can enter into the presence of a holy God. That's what I want to do for you. Or you think of the New Testament. Here's Peter, who just no time prior to the episode that I'm describing has said, Jesus, I'll stand behind you. I'll die for you. I'll fight for you, whatever it takes. And then as soon as Jesus is taken, he denies Jesus three times to the point that he curses in front of a little girl so that she might be convinced that he's being truthful when he says, I have no idea who this guy is. I'm not with him. I'm not a part of him. And what do you see Jesus doing? As soon as he's experienced his death and resurrection, he comes to Peter and he recommissions him. And he says to them, hey, look, feed my sheep. In fact, he's telling them, you become a leader to my church in terms of, uh, of you become a very important person in, in helping my people be fed as they need to be fed. Uh, carry on, give leadership with others, but give leadership to the kingdom of God. He commissions. That's just grace. 
I mean, this is the way of God, and we've got to be careful not to think that grace is somehow withheld when we begin to sin. That is not the case. Let's look at number two. A little different. Grace is not proportioned according to our sin. See, we tend to think good people need a little grace. Bad people, they need a significant amount of grace. And, and, and these people who are terrible people, oh, they need buckets of grace. They got to have a whole lot of grace. And we tend to think that grace makes up our deficits. And so where we can't, he does. That is not the teaching at all. It is actually 100% of people need 100% of grace. It's not like he has this abundance and we kind of bring it down a little bit, bring it down a little bit, or he has to recreate more. No, 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 no. It abounds. And we have to have grace in full, not in part. But we need to note something here that's very important because I know many would be thinking right now, wow, then maybe this means, and, or maybe we can't put together, well, does that mean that I can just sin and sin and sin and, I mean, that's all it is. I just sin and accept the grace. No, it's really not the case. We ask, well, what about repentance? Do we, I mean, does this grace abound even when we don't? Repent, and the answer, by the way, to that is yes. But what we need to understand is repentance is the means by which we appropriate the grace that is all over us and available to us. It has to be appropriated. And if we don't appropriate, though it's there for us, it's ours, the love of God stays the same, but it, it has to be appropriated, and that never will happen without confession of sin. It's called repentance. Take it another step. What about, what about these issues of, of the means of grace? It's a term that you're going to hear more of when we get to that in our series, the means of, we'll talk about the means of grace. But the means of grace, whether it be prayer, whether it be uh, the study of Scripture and so forth, all the things that we talk about as the means by which God brings us grace, you need to understand we stand in grace. It abounds. But the means of grace refers to the delivery system in which the grace that is ours gets to us to benefit us. Oh, it's ours. But we need the, the, the means of grace. When you hear a church leadership saying, oh, you need to pray. You need to study the scriptures. You need this. You need that. Understand this, that's not, if you hear that, oh, we, yeah, I got to do all those things uh, because that's what I'm supposed to do, and if I don't do it, people don't understand. No, 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 no. It's means by which grace that already abounds for us as his children, but it's how that grace is going to come to us in a way that it benefits us on a day-by-day -day basis. This thing is not just a past salvation. It's a present salvation. And there's going to be a future salvation that in Romans 8 makes it real clear that if we, with all the suffering of this world, it will become as acceptable we can take it as long as we have our eyes fixed on the glory yet to be revealed. And so it's very important that we understand there is a grace coming, that as we understand the grace coming, oh my goodness, yes, we stand in grace, but there is a grace coming that's going to do something for us in the future called glorification that allows us to continue to live even among the suffering that we have to go through. 
all of this grace so critically, critically important for Christians to understand. So, you got to know that about repentance and the means of grace. So let's look at number three finally here. Grace is always triumphant over sin. I'll put it this way. Grace bullies sin. It just beats sin up badly. Grace has never been whipped by, by sin. In fact, it's interesting, in the last verse that we read, 21, the human author Paul is basically personifying both sin and grace. You know what he says? He's essence saying this. He's saying king sin invades humanity and literally captures the hearts of humanity with the ideal of bringing death to all of its victims. But the great news is that King Grace, for those who are His, invade their lives and destroy sin to the end that there may be life forever. That's the teaching of God's Word. It's the way that we have to understand God's grace. Put it this way. Grace is both a state or a status which we live. And at the same time, it is also a power. It's a power that abounds as is needed. It's a status and it's a power. And I promise you this, if you live as a Christian without the consuming understanding and thought that His grace, that we stand in grace which abounds, that we, we fail to understand the status and the power that that gives to us, then we're going to be living the Christian life as if we literally have very, very little resources and we're trying to make it every day and we can piece it together and try to take the next step. Let me tell you, it's not true. We understand this, we say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm rich in the grace of God and I have an abundance of grace and it's taking care of every sin and I will never have to worry that God is looking at me and ever having the thought that, you know what? I'm just disappointed in you. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm angry. That's not true. That can't happen if we have been introduced into the grace in which God has placed all of his people. You've got to understand, it is a status and it is a power. And without those two, man, we're just trying to live a Christian life that's impossible to live. Let me close this out by simply suggesting that probably there are a lot of us who are right now in desperate need to receive forgiving grace. Some of us are trying hard to climb back into a grace from which we think we've fallen. You don't achieve it, you just receive it. Do you know my story? I, I, I promise you I would not be here teaching this morning. I would not be here teaching were it not for the fact that I stand in grace. Because the evil one, on a weekly basis, will do his job to take my emotions, to take my feelings, and to say to me, you know you're not worthy. 
You're not worthy to be up there preaching. You know where your thought life went this week. You know how your attitudes were selfish. You know how you were thinking about. You know, and then I'm done. And you know what's so interesting? What he's telling me is true. It is true. I, I'm not worthy. Except for this fact, I stand in grace. Not because I did anything to deserve it, but because he introduced me into the grace in which I stand. Based on his kindness and his mercy, his goodness, he's done that. And now, regardless of what the sin is, even if I have not, even if I have not confessed it, even if I've just put myself close to the means of grace, where I'm not being able to experience what God has for me and intended for me, I'm still loved as much as if I had never had those thoughts, those attitudes. So I can preach. I can. Now, I shouldn't be preaching if I'm saying no means of grace for me. Oh, that would change things. Or, or maybe if I say, I will not repent. I don't care about my sin. Let it be what it is. No, that's different. But it doesn't matter what I do. If I stand in grace. Hey, does it ever make you think, well, maybe there should be a problem of concern thinking, oh, but if this be the teaching of God's word, then why wouldn't Christians just go out and raise hell all the time and do anything they want to do and just accept that abundance of grace? Let me tell you, anybody, and, and by the way, do you know what? Paul's readers, they thought that. Surely some of us think that. That's why what follows is, well, are you saying? No, he's not saying that at all. Because anybody who preaches grace, anybody who preaches grace and takes light of sin, let me tell you, they don't know grace. They don't get grace. Because when you meet grace, you find yourself changed. And you hate the very sin that the God of grace has so ruled against. You hate it too. That's the beauty. God's grace working in our hearts. You know, there's an interesting line in the prayer that we use called the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know what that says? It says, Lord, I will forgive other people if I've experienced forgiveness. But then we ask, well, what about those people who have wronged us, who are hurting us, who are so unrepentant, who are so this, and I know God says, forgive them even as I've forgiven you, and I bet we don't understand what he's saying. That's why next week, we're going to talk about relational grace. And we're going to deal with, okay, if we've experienced forgiving grace, we are to dispense it. What are the biblical guidelines to doing so? That's what we'll cover next week. But right now, seeker, do you find yourself not just thinking, wow, what if I could have the greatest of all, the creator of the universe, who loved me that way? That unconditional. Does something in you find yourself saying, I want to know a God like that. I want to become intimate with a God like that. Then you go to the cross of Jesus and you see his forgiveness at Calvary's cross. What he's done for people just like you and me. 
And see if that doesn't do something to your heart and draw you to say, I want to bend the knee and follow you. When that happens, you know you've met the grace of God. You've just been introduced into the grace in which you'll stand forever. And Christian, let's us right now, let's just get over this idea, I'm outside his grace because of what I've done. You enjoy the love of a great God. And if you find yourself as a Christian saying, oh, I'm loving out, living outside that grace as it would appear. I, I, I don't want to be there. I'm, I'm loving this out here. This is where I'm going to stay. Then check out and make sure that you have legitimately ever been introduced into that grace. Come to the cross. It's the answer for all. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're going to ask you now that you would hear many of us as seekers who are saying, I, I want this. I, I want to know this kind of love from you, my designer, my God. Lord, would you hear hearts that are coming to you right now? And Father, for the many of us that are here that have been trying to climb back into your grace, forgive us for wrong beliefs, wrong thinking. And Lord, we want to say now, thank you for the status upon which you've given us and the power that comes with that. We're thankful and we're grateful in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.